You're listening to a feed of the Association of Music Podcasting at musicpodcasting.org. you boys to play. Wait a minute. Homer? A lot of these are Grand Funk Railroad songs. And we don't know Pac-Man Fever. Oh, come on. It plays itself. Uh, Pac-Man Fever. A doodly-doo. It's driving me crazy. Look, Lisa. Daddy's in the who. G'day, I'm Eck, and I'm not in the who. You are listening to Eck FM International 507 as I wind down Eck FM International. I'm going to present two of my favourite interviews that I have recorded during my time here at ERK FM. The first one is going to be with a Latino singer-songwriter, uh, Capero, who originally from New York City, she's on the West Coast at the moment, West Coast of America, and we had a phone interview via Skype, and that was really, really cool. We got to talk about a lot of different uh, musical subjects and some non-musical subjects and it was really really cool i really enjoyed it and i really enjoy um her style of music just a solo singer songwriter um lots of aggressive guitar you know the latino voice she sings in english and spanish and rather rather cool our second interview is going to be with Leah Finkelstein and this is an interesting interview because you don't actually hear my voice at all. I had some technical issues when I was recording uh, this particular interview via Skype and so what we ended up doing, I could hear Leah but she couldn't hear me and so what I figured out rather than reschedule the interview was that I would type my questions into Skype in the chat window and she would respond and I told her basically if you can incorporate the question um, into the answer that'll be awesome and I'll just cut out the blank bits of air where I'm where I'm typing and that sort of thing and that interview and that style of editing really worked out for me so if you want to know more about either of the ladies you can go to the show notes at fminternational.com and I'll see you next week until next time, don't forget that music is life. Good night, interweb. You're listening to a feed of the Association of Music Podcasting at musicpodcasting.org. In 2009, Irk went to the dark side and became a music podcaster. He discovered a wide, wide selection of music, apart from Dozy Doe by Julie the Band. It's now 2010, and Irk comes down the pipe and into your ears, bigger, stronger and faster. Every Friday, it's Irk FM time. Now here's your host of Irk FM from Channel Irk, here's Irk.
G'day, I'm Eric, and welcome to episode 75 of Eric FM. Eric FM is my music podcast that is a part of Channel Eric, coming out of Sydney, Australia. For more information, you can go to ericfm.com. Eric FM comes down the pipe and into your ears at the end of each week, but it's Tuesday. And for the last few weeks, we have been having a variety of interviews from a variety of artists. The majority of the artists so far have been from Juice Management and Promotion, but this first artist is my first interview from Aerial Publicity, which is which is quite cool. On the line from a sort of snowy New York, depending on what which part of New York you're from, <laughs> is Capero. Hello. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Um, I've got a real fascination with snow, considering that I'm in Australia, and if it snows here, where I am about an hour off the east coast, I'm going to be in some for some real dramas. What's the snow <laughs> situation in the states where you, near where you are at the moment? Uh, right now, it's it's not too bad. Uh, a couple hours upstate, we really got pretty much less than an inch, and then downstate, uh, they got slammed with about a foot. So, uh, very interesting how the system kind of worked, and uh, we were kind of in the clear. So, <laughs> so how, do, how do you cope when you um, have massive amount of snows and you basically can't go anywhere? Is that a good time for songwriting? Uh, it can be. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, usually if I'm totally snowed in, uh, the guitar will certainly be at the top of the list, and I'll just start jamming out with songs that I've written and then gradually just start coming up with some new things. So it, it's a good time for some innovation. <laughs> well, you know, there's only so many things you can do if you can't go out of your front door, I suppose. Exactly. Totally. Do you usually have problems like with losing your internet or losing power if it's if the snow's that bad? Uh, no. I think the one time uh, it was really bad was last last year. Uh, in December at, at school, uh, we got a huge ice storm and a lot of power went out uh, around the county. And so they had to send us home early and uh, we got out of most of our finals. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they got you in the end anyway. Uh, well, some some of us, yes. But uh, for the most part, it, it was it was pretty nice. <laughs> so how close are you to New York City? Well, from uh, Albany, about three hours, and uh, from where I'm from, downstate, it's only about an hour and 15. So um, so when I'm not in school, so about like three months during the summer, I'm only about an hour and 15, which is pretty good because I love going down to the city in the summertime. It's great. But not so much, not so much the winter. No, not so much the winter. For Christmas, it's nice to go down there and see the tree in the Rockefeller Center, but um, for, for the most part, I'm up here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into music. Well, uh, I've been singing for a very long time, since I was a little girl, and uh, I always had a love for it. And I started actually taking piano lessons uh, when I was about nine years old, uh, and I took piano lessons for about six years. And then uh, I decided to venture off uh, and uh, pick up a guitar when I was 16, and uh, and that just kind of opened uh, a lot of doors for me in terms of songwriting. So it, it was really, uh, it was pretty neat. 
So when you picked up the guitar at 16, did you go to guitar lessons or did you teach yourself? I actually had a family member teach me uh, the first few chords. And then uh, after that, I, I really was just self-taught. And uh, I used a lot of pictures from uh, chord books and uh, looked up some stuff online. Uh, but, uh, yeah, for the most part, it, it was uh, self-taught. Um, but uh, it, it came to me pretty quickly. Uh, so, you know, by, like, the second day after I had actually, after someone showed me the first couple of chords, I was going back and forth between them both. So I was, uh, it was I picked it up pretty quickly. And I presume, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're writing your own stuff, you can basically do what you want anyway compared to if you were doing something like Stairway to Heaven or or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely fun. I love the freedom that you have. Um, and, uh, and I like doing some covers too, like especially when I gig out. It's pretty cool to kind of engage the audience with some songs that they definitely know and they can kind of relate. Uh, too. So, you know, I love the variety in songwriting. It's great. So how do you come up with your songwriting ideas? Uh, really, the easiest way to approach it is through your own experiences. And uh, and I'm sure lots of artists would agree that usually if you feel really strongly about something, the songs tend to write themselves in many ways. So um, really, my experiences and uh, inspirations through people that have inspired me um, you know, I kind of like to send some subliminal messages uh, in my song without saying who they are. <laughs> so who does inspire you musically? Musically, uh, in terms of artists, um, I have a, a lot of people that I really think are awesome artists, like uh, Juanes, who's a Colombian rocker, um, KT Tunstall. Um, you know, I like a lot of classic rock like ACDC. Um, but like on a personal level, it, it really just comes down to friends and family and uh, past relationships. So, uh, and any times, any time in life when you just kind of struggle a little bit, it's also a great way to kind of come out with some material and just it's like a therapy almost, and it's great. And I love writing, you know, with my emotions in those songs. So, do you write a specific tune for it as well, or do you just strum along and? Yeah, it just kind of it, it kind of forms itself, you know. I mean, it's funny because sometimes I'll start writing and I'll, you know, sometimes the lyrics will come first, like I'll, oh, like this would be cool, you know, like let me write this down and then I'll add music later. Or sometimes I'll just be playing and uh and a chord progression will just sound, you know, pretty decent and then I'll keep that and then maybe the next day I'll be like, "You know what? This would be better." And it just kind of like it's like puzzle pieces and I finally put it all together. So um, it, it's different every time. Some of my regular listeners are probably going to get sick of this question, but I never get sick of hearing the answer. It's 3 o'clock in the morning and you come up with a really great idea. What do you do? Uh, I hopefully remember it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because um, I feel like that if something really does pop into my head, and if it's a situation where it is 3 o'clock in the morning, I sleep on it. And if it was good enough, I'll remember it the next day. What about if you're out and about, you know, you could be like going to college or traveling around or whatever. What Have you got like pen and paper or a mobile phone? or? Um, not really, actually. I mean, wh- I think the one thing that I do is I just hum it a lot. And so the more that I hum and I, you know, kind of just get the tune in my head so that's familiar so that by the time I sit down with a guitar, 
um, I remember it. And that's really, that's how I make my mental notes. I really don't write anything down, which I probably should when I'm out. But, um, yeah, usually, like, it starts with just a tune, and I start humming it, and it just, I, then I trans, and then I transfer it to the guitar. <laughs> as odd as that may sound. <laughs> well, if it, if it works for you, you know, humming it until it becomes an earworm, you know what an earworm is? A what? An earworm. What's that? I basically have, you know, when you're sort of, you know, you're doing something and then all of a sudden a song gets stuck in your head and you can't get rid of it, even if you haven't heard it for a while? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I call that an earworm. Okay, cool. And what I did on the show last year, and there's one coming up soon this year, is out of all the songs that I've played, if a song gets stuck in my head and I can't get it out, I include it onto an earworm special and then I put all my earworm songs together. And so that should be a really catchy episode. <laughs> That's cool. That's a good idea. So why don't we start off with one of your songs? Because who knows, that might even become an earworm for someone. Maybe it will. So here is I've Got Your Number. What's the story behind that? Uh, basically, uh, just a relationship that I wasn't really digging. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad because, uh, it's just one of those things where you just, it just didn't work. And, um, and I think you don't even have to be a girl to, to relate to this song. It could be a guy too, even though I'm singing about a guy, um, you know, one of those high school relationship things. And, uh, and it just kind of, it makes you mad and upset with the way that they act. And, uh, it was time to uh, move on. So... Well, it's been a while for me, but we'll have a listen anyway. This is Capero with I've Got Your Number here on ERCFM. Well, there's been something telling me stay away And every time I see you get stronger
that was I've Got Your Number, and I'm wondering if the ladies out there, especially Jen, um, she'll really understand that, that message. I, I'm sure if I listen to it enough times, I'll probably get the message. It takes me a while to get messages sometimes. <laughs> it's okay. Happens to the best of us. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So where are you Where are you from originally? Because you also sing in Spanish. Yes, I'm actually, uh, originally I was born in, uh, in New York. So, uh, uh, I was originally from New York and, uh, but I don't actually, I do sing in Spanish, but I don't have any Spanish background, but my heritage, um, is really based out of Italy and, uh, and actually some Russia in there too. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting mix. So, um, I presume with the Italian background that, oh, hang on, no, I'm getting my countries mixed up here. I'm, Wondering how does this how does the Spanish work with Italian? Yeah, I you know I never I never took up Italian in school, and that's really how I started with the Spanish was just by starting to take the language in seventh grade, and I continued with it all throughout school, and uh, started listening to a lot of Spanish music, and I just really developed a passion uh, for the language and the different cultures from different Spanish speaking countries. So um, eventually, I decided to make the leap and integrate that into the music and i think it worked okay <laughs> well we'll um find out very shortly because i've got one i specifically asked for one of your spanish numbers so so i can play it because um i do have at least one listener who can who can speak who can speak spanish actually on my on my talk podcast Oak pod that comes out on channel oak on wednesdays I've got an occasional segment which is called The Plane is About to Crash and That's Okay because I only speak and understand English and someone could be talking to me in a foreign language, for instance Spanish, and they could be telling me something bad like the plane is about to crash and we're all going to die. But <laughs> but in re- in reality, my brain is hearing, oh yes, that lady is, you know really hot for me right now sort of thing so it's it's interesting how you know how the brain works you know my uni language brain right yeah i mean like you know you should take one of those uh burlitz courses like in flight spanish it could help you know you never know <laughs> i've i've actually got a phone translator on my iphone uh but the only thing that i've really programmed into it and i haven't really done anything with it is the plane's about to crash and that's okay so <laughs> but it's it's interesting when I was over in um, New York City, you know the amount of different people that were that were in there in such a small area. Um, oh yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing um, to think that there's so many people in in such a small area compared to what I'm used to. And at first yeah. it was a bit strange, but you know, a couple of couple of days it just seemed. You know, you sort of get acclimatized to it and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's New York City is definitely a melting pot of cultures, and and that's one of the reasons why I love it so much. It really is an amazing place. So, do you do do you do many gigs at the moment, or are you? Um, right now, uh, it's mainly just gigging out around uh, the Albany area. Um, usually, I like to gig out in New York City more over the summers. Um, when I'm closer to home. Um, but like around here, it's pretty fun, especially up at school. 
uh, because word spreads pretty quickly at school. So the support here has been pretty great. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun, you know. Like it, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's challenging to balance, you know, school and music, but um, but it can be fun too if you manage your time wisely. You can definitely get through it, and it really is. It's fun. I love it. So, what are you studying at the moment? I'm studying Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I'm majoring in Spanish, and uh, so that helps a lot, and it kind of helps grammatically. Um, and, it, and it's kind of, it's funny because, you know, you can try and write a song grammatically correct in Spanish, but, you know, there could be tons of different ways to say something that you don't think uh, would be grammatically correct, depending on the dialect. So I'm trying to become more street savvy of like of Spanish, you know, spoken like everyday Spanish rather than just, okay, what's perfectly grammatically correct? Because, you know, that's uh, one of the challenges. But, um, but it's fun. It really is. <laughs> so your so Spanish listeners are probably sitting there thinking, you know, she's got that wrong, she's got that wrong, she's got that wrong. And, and I'd be sitting in the audience and going... Wow, that's that's really cool. I've got no idea what she's <laughs> saying, but that's that's so cool. Yeah, you know, uh, we'll see how it goes. I, um, you know, it's definitely a new angle. Um, so, uh, you know, so far uh, the feedback has been pretty good, and um, you know, I'm just going to keep going with it. And uh, you know, like music, just it speaks for itself. So, so mm-hmm. what's what's the main aim? What what do you intend to do with your music? Is it the aim to do it full time, to be able to, you know, not need to get a day job eventually? Um, yeah, I mean, like the ultimate goal is definitely to make a career out of it. <clears throat> um, you know, I just go as far as I can, and uh, having been a finalist um, in the John Lennon songwriting contest for the, my song La Sombra, that that just happened uh, in September, and that was a big indication to me. I was like, wow, you know, that's so cool. And, uh, you know, to be a finalist in the Latin category and not be a native speaker was, it was very gratifying and it gave me a boost and, you know, the confidence to just say, Hey, you know, keep going with this. You know what I mean? Like why stop? So how how did that competition come about? How did you find out about that? Um, I just, I found it online. And, um, and I just decided to submit my music and it, it's pretty simple. I mean, you know, you have to pay to submit your songs, but I mean, um, you just choose the ones that you want to submit and, uh, and then they have two different sessions and then, um, they, it takes about like, I think three months or so, two or three months, uh, for them to listen and judge and then release the results. Um, so that's, I mean, it's pretty simple how it works, but, uh, you know, anyone could do it. You know, everyone should do it. You know, if you, if you wrote a song, you know, submit it, you know. So, so. there's, so there's no performance element to it. There's no like American Idol, you know, everyone just rocks up and. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it could be anyone, which I love, you know, there's all different types of categories of songwriting contests and, um. And this one was international, and so the the stage is just open for for anyone to enter. So, and you don't have to be a professional. You know, it could be anyone. Have you ever thought, or have you ever tried, like the American Idol concept? You know, it's funny because uh, I did think about it um, a few years ago, but honestly, 
uh, I decided not to pursue it because um, it just wasn't the path that I saw myself walking down. It was just really, uh, I think the American Idol thing is is great for exposure, but um, it, it just wasn't something that I thought that I saw myself doing. So just decided to make my own path. <laughs> well, your path seems to be going all right at the moment. Let's hear, yeah. the, let's hear the Spanish song. I'm going to have to get you to introduce it because, as I said, my Spanish is basically non-existent. La Sombra, is that right? Yes, it is La Sombra. And what's that song about? Um, well, it, it, the song's called La Sombra, which means the shadow. And it's just basically about, it could be anyone, any uh, person that is perhaps maybe infatuated with you. And uh, it just always seems to kind of linger around, want to get to know you all the time, and just doesn't let up. And so you're just kind of like, all right, you know, I, I think you're, you're kind of cool. This enchants me a little bit, but I don't think you're right for me. So basically, back off. <laughs> so that's kind of like the concept for the song. Uh, so I decided to add a mysterious element to it by uh, kind of like a metaphorical thing with the shadow. So uh, if you know someone who's, uh, you know, a little overbearing, they could be your shadow. So have you performed this song in English as well? No, just in Spanish. Um, well, actually, no, I take that back because when I first wrote it, um, I, I wrote the first half in English and then Spanish, but then I just, I thought it sounded much better just all in Spanish, so. So let, let's hear it. All right. Guapo, me encantas, pero quiero que te vayas Estás adentro 
if I had to listen to the first song, you know, 10 million times to get the messages out of it, I'd probably have to listen to that one about 20 million times. But as I said, it all sounds good to me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you've just released a, another song, is that right? Yes, I just released a, a new track called Come To Me. And uh, I just cut that actually uh, in the beginning of January. So it's basically fresh out of the studio. <laughs> so what's the studio process like for you? Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I, I just started recording in the summer of 2008. And uh, I just learned so much. And I really didn't know how much went into it and the technical aspects of it. And uh, it really amazes me. And the guys down at the studio uh, are amazing. And uh, they're a lot of fun to work with. And each time I go down there, it just it, it gets easier. And, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, communicating what exactly you envision with the song, um, you know, the familiarity of the process. So, I mean, it really is a lot of fun to record. And, uh, you know, it, it just amazes me. So when it when it comes down to the studio, how long would you have spent in the studio to get that song right? Well, for the for the last one I just did, yeah, um, that was really quick. It only took about two full days in terms of laying down uh, guitar vocals and uh, drums. Uh, so I mean that one was pretty quick because we were under some time constraints. But I mean we did everything, and it I thought it came out really great. And um, and yeah, I mean it depends. Um, I think the last time, uh, the very first time I recorded the EP, it was only the first four songs that were in English, um, and that took a little longer because um, I had never recorded at a big studio before. So. Like, I had to learn the process, but now, since I'm familiar with it, um, we just get right to work. Because it would have been very intimidating the first time. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, you walk into a studio and you see, you know, platinum records and gold records hanging on the wall, and you're like, oh, here I am. <laughs> you know, what yeah. do we do now? <laughs> am, I in the, am I in the right place? What's that? You sort of think, I'm presuming, you know, am I in the right place? Oh, right, exactly. Yeah, but uh, the guys the guys down at the studio, they're, they're awesome, and uh, I made some really good friends uh, out of the process. So it was very it was very a rewarding experience for me personally. And so how does that compare to performing live? You know, uh, there's really nothing better than performing live. I mean, when I perform live, it's it's like I give it every ounce of energy that I have, and uh, and you know by the by the time I'm done, you know you're still like on that adrenaline rush, and um, you know a lot of my shows are acoustic shows, and uh, and I'm usually I'm usually aggressive when I play the guitar, um, but I mean not overly aggressive, but just like you know I just I get it going. And, uh, you know, and it's just wonderful. I love performing live and I hold high standards for myself. So, you know, I guess you could say I'm very hard on myself because I want every show, you know, to be awesome. So, you know, if you go to one of my shows, you won't be disappointed in terms of a live performance. <laughs> it's pretty and, fun. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being your worst critic because if you can't be your worst critic, who can be really? Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. Because you kn you know what you're doing on a show by show basis. Like I might only come to one of your shows 
and you know because I can only make the one show and I might think well you know you went really well and then you might be thinking to yourself well I could have done this better I could have done that better and all yeah, that that's, sort of thing. that's exactly that's exactly how I am. Like I, you know, people say, "Oh my god, you know, that was a really cool song," and I'll be like, "Oh, thanks." And then I'll say to myself, "Man, you know, I'm surprised because I didn't think I sang that one line. Like there was just something really wrong there. I thought, and you know, yeah, people won't notice it. So I mean, I'll notice the little things that I do, and it's like, oh, you know, next time I really want to, you know, uh, you know, sing that note louder or you know, pronounce that phrase better. So I mean, every time there's something else that personally i feel that i can improve on so it's a learning experience too do you ever forget the words or accidentally put in the wrong words yep all the time (laughs) um yeah i'd say like there's always a moment at every show where um if it's my own song or if it's a cover you know i'll i'll forget you know a word here or there and i'll try and ad lib a little bit and uh improvise but, you know, you just kind of keep going. You don't really think anything of it because I'm sure many artists will say that it happens all the time. Um, so if I try to be too perfect, it just, you know, you can't. So, but it's fun, though. Yeah, that's what the studio is for. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and that, of course, relies on you hearing the cover correctly in the first in the first place. I know there's many songs that, you know, you hear the words one way and it actually turns out to be another way, like the classic song... Excuse me while I kiss the sky. Many people hear that as "Excuse me while I kiss this guy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's also a thing too. And um, you know, it's it's one of the challenges when you perform out live. You know, you can't guarantee that they're going to get everything. But I mean, the the main goal is to you know, well, are they enjoying the music? You know, and uh, regardless of what you're singing. You know, the goal is, is their foot tapping and are they, you know, shaking their head? Are they having a good time? You know, that that's what I look for. Do you try and put your own bit of personality into a cover? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, you can try and sing it a certain way that uh, an artist may sing it. And if it doesn't really work for you, you know, and if especially if your voice type is really different, then I, I think you're almost uh, obligated to to kind of make it into your own style. And I think that that's the best way to approach covers sometimes is to kind of make it your own. Um, but, uh, you know, but definitely, you know, sing sing the song and don't change the melody or anything. But, I mean, um, you know, if you put your own little beat into it or you slow it down and, uh, you know, it, it, could be, it could be pretty cool. And people might actually remember that one cover that you do in a show and come back to the show you know, excited to hear that cover. Well, you never know. What sort of um, crowd reaction do you get your songs versus a cover? Do people wait for the covers or people are just happy to be able to hear you at all? Um, You know, I I mix it up a lot. Um, So uh, the reactions that I get with my own songs uh, are very, very good, very favorable. And, uh, you know, but it's always uh, interesting because, you know, when you play a song like Black Horse and the Cherry Tree, um, you know, some people be like, oh, what's that song? And then you start playing it because it's, you know, a Katie Tunstall song. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And they'll be like, oh, okay. And they'll get, like, excited and everything. And and I do... uh, uh, Bonnie Tyler's holding out for a hero, and uh, and people get really uh, into that too. So I mean, you know, and then when you play "I've Got Your Number," it's like, oh yeah, you know, like it's "I've Got Your Number." Um, so I mean, you know, it's definitely a mixed reaction, and I think that people love the familiarity 
of, uh, of hearing songs that they love because they may appreciate your music, but they also love to hear their favorites. So, I mean, I feel like the feeling is like mutual with each, with each, with each thing. Do you have a crowd favorite? Um, I have to say that I think, uh, come to me is, is the, uh, one of the newer crowd favorites, because I think my goal with that song was to instantly start it, you know, just kind of bringing in the audience with like a hook, um, with the, because it starts like on an A minor. So I think that I love A minor chords. So, um, I like to pull people in with that. So definitely come to me and La Sombra actually gets a very good reaction. Um, so those are like my two favorite songs to play of mine. Now I'm going to ask you a question that one of my listeners has asked me before, not necessarily at you specifically, but when it comes down to singing in accents, um, I've noticed that, and a couple of my listeners have noticed, like with artists from the UK, for instance, they're British, but when they sing, they sound American. Yeah. Have you have you noticed that? Has, has that happened to you? Where you know you said you're not a um, native Spanish speaker, and right. and you don't really speak Italian. Have you noticed that you sort of sing with an accent? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I don't I don't know. I mean, I think what I do is that I just try to make sure that I'm you know pronouncing the Spanish right. Um, and I think that as long as the Spanish is coming out right. And, uh, you know, there's an accent because you should have, you know, some sort of accent when you're speaking in Spanish. But although there are many different types of dialects and, and accents that go with that dialect. So I can't really say, oh, well, you know, what what dialect are you singing in? I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm really singing in any dialect. It's just it's just the Spanish that I know, um, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I always do notice, though, that that. British people do indeed like have that American type accent when they sing. And then, and then there'd be artists that I wouldn't even know that they were British until they started, you know, speaking. And it's like, Oh wow, I didn't know that. I thought that they were American, you know? So, um, it's very interesting, but when it comes to like a foreign language, like Spanish, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely hold that expectation of myself to make sure that it sounds authentic. I notice so. I do exactly the same thing. If I'm at karaoke, or I'm, or I'm at SingStar. You must be an awesome person to do karaoke with. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm very shy to do karaoke, believe it or not. I like, I get more nervous doing karaoke than I do doing my own shows. It's probably, it's bad. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's fun. You know, uh, there's a local place uh, that I like to perform at a lot when I'm home. And uh, they have karaoke. And it's it's an absolute blast to go there because it starts at around 10 o'clock and, you know, all my, my friends are there and, um, you know, even my parents, you know, we all go together and uh, we just have a great time. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to do karaoke with people that you know, you know. <laughs> and I suppose but. that's a good way of just keeping your voice into it as well. Um, back to the um, live show, I forgot to ask this question a bit earlier. What sort of preparation, mental and physical, do you put into a performance? Uh, I just make sure that I get as much sleep as I can because, you know, also when you're a college student, that's one of the things that you lack, I think. So definitely get a lot of sleep. And um, I, I don't know, I don't really approach it too differently, believe it or not. It's just, you know, try not to do too much 
you know, work with your voice, you know, during the day, you know, I, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't want to overdo it. Like I wouldn't want to scream or, you know, if I'm watching a, you know, a Rangers game, you know, try not to scream too much. Uh, but, um, and then just practice, just go over my set list and, uh, maybe not sing a whole song, but just kind of go through certain areas that I just want to make sure are solid. Um, so that, that's basically what I do. Just practice and sleep and, uh, water and tea. <laughs> do you play the guitar every day? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Every day. Um, whether it's for 10 minutes or for two hours, um, got to make sure that I stay fresh and, uh, it's also just, uh, a release, you know? Um, so as long as, as long as my fingers hit those strings, you know, uh, at some point during the day, it's like, oh, thank God, you know, it's like my time to just make, like, know that, all right, I can go to sleep now, knowing that I at least played something, so. I presume it's a bit relaxing as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and I was just sick, um, last week, and I'm just getting better, uh, so, when I was sick, I, I couldn't sing. And, and when, you know, you can't sing, it's like, it, it feels like you can't walk basically because I, I love singing. And, uh, you know, so I would just sit there with the guitar and, um, and I just wanted, I had the urge to sing so much and I couldn't, because if I did, not only would I sound horrible, but I would hurt my voice. So, uh, you know, as much as you want to sing those times when you're ill, you just can't. But, um, you know, but I got to stay fresh. You know, that's the way you do it. And you find practice rooms on campus and you just go and you rock out. <laughs> that's the thing. You, you, you want to sing, but if you do, um, you could push yourself back. And that's the last thing you want to do. Oh, my God. I know. Absolutely. I mean, I'll be on the phone with my mom and, and she'll be like, are you drinking your tea? You know, are, are you having water? Lots of fluids. I'm like, yes, I know. So uh, because I, I can get relapses really easily. So. If I push it, you know, I could get sick all over again. Not not good, not good at all. So Mm-mm. why don't you introduce the the new song? All right. Yeah, this is uh, Come To Me, and uh, it's basically just uh, knowing someone, uh, you know, whoever whoever it is, if you're a guy or a girl, and, uh, and if you really care about them and uh, you're just dropping those hints, and uh, you're committed to them, and they're not sure if they're going to be committed to you, and that scares you. But you know, you're just the message is basically, hey, you know, don't think, just let's let's just have a relationship, let's jump right into it. So um, you know, it's just one of those fun songs that uh, I had a lot of fun writing, and hopefully they'll have fun listening to it. Awesome. So here it is.
So finally, how do you use things like the the internet and you know things like Twitter, Facebook, MySpace um, to get the word out there? Yeah, um, I uh, well, what I did was that I was able to sync up the my Facebook and and um, my Twitter um, because like I have a personal page with Facebook too, but I then I have the fan page for the Caparo page. And so that syncs up with the Twitter. So that's like killing two birds with one stone there, which is good. Um, but I try not to overdo the Twitter uh, too much because, um, you know, I, I don't think I need to say what I'm doing like every 10 minutes. But, I mean, you know, I love to put some stuff on there and uh, the MySpace for sure. Um, I always post shows on my MySpace first. Um, and then I'll send out the invites on Facebook. Um, and uh, and then Twitter's like fairly new, I think. Um at least for me. And, uh, and I know there are lots of other social networking sites like Reverb Nation, but I don't, I don't really use that as much. Um, but my, my top three are Facebook, MySpace, and, and Twitter. And, and indeed, basically, Twitter was the way that we really connected and you let me know about the new song that way and we sort of started organizing this interview over Twitter and then we took it to email. Yeah, it's amazing, right? I wish I actually wish if my only criticism of Twitter is that, you know, I, I do wish that they gave you more like space and more characters to, to write an update because like you could be in the middle of like a short update and you have like just one more word or like one more sentence and you can't put it on there and then you have to like tweet another tweet on top of that just to finish the sentence. So <laughs> that's the only thing that I wish that they had was uh unlimited characters, but but Twitter's great, it really is. No, and it's really good to be able to find what you're doing. And, for instance, on the website, channelurk.com and urkfm.com, if you go to the urkfm drop-down menu and then um, videos by urkfm artists, I've actually got one of your YouTube videos up there. Oh, yay. i got to post some. I have to um, upload. I just uh, had a video of another live performance, and I definitely want to post that one. So once I figure out how to post that, I will definitely let you know. Awesome. I should tell you which one it is, actually. Um, yeah, it's I've Got Your Number. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love performing that one. That's a fun one to do. So is video part of the plan? Uh, well, an actual music video, I'm, I'm not really sure when I'm going to do that, um, but my, my main goal is just to write and record uh, as much as I can and as soon as possible. The video, I would love, I would love, love to do a music video. Um, I have lots of ideas. Um, I just, I haven't, haven't really gone down that road yet, but, uh, but it will definitely be in the near future. Is there an album in the, in the offering? Um, well, right now the album that I have is the Caparo EP with, uh, that is actually going to be updated and I'm going to be adding the seventh, uh, song to that EP, which is the newest track come to me. So, um, so that's what I will be updating very soon. And, um, and you know, I will definitely keep everyone posted as I cut more tracks. Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure, um, having a chat. It's, Really, really good to catch up with you. It's just a shame that I, um, you know, wasn't in New York City that that long. But next time I'm back, we'll have to um, see if we can catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. 
no worries. You've been listening to ECFM episode 75 uh, with myself and Capero. Uh, there'll be links on the show notes so you can find out more about her. Uh, go to the website and tell her that you heard about her on ECFM. That would be really cool. So until next time, I'm Erk, and wherever it is that you hear me across Channel Erk, good night interweb. have been listening to a Channel Irk production. Channel Irk and all five podcasts are licensed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative, share-alike license registered in Australia. Music is used with direct permission or under agreements with various music providers. All rights to the music contained within remains with the original rights holder. Some sound effects are sourced from the Free Sound Project under Creative Commons. For more information about Channel Irk, go to www.channelirk.com. G'day, I'm Eric, and welcome to episode 176 of Eric FM. Another interview special, but this time during this interview you won't be hearing me. Due to a technical issue, the interview was a little bit one-sided, but that's fine. Enjoy the interview with American singer-songwriter Lee Finkelstein. You're listening to a feed of the Association of Music Podcasting at musicpodcasting.org. I came by it very honestly. Um, my mother was a, uh, a jazz singer. 
So um, my babysitters originally were uh, members of her band, Joy Spring. They were a jazz band uh, in the uh, late 70s and in the 80s. And so uh, I grew up with music all around me. I went to her gigs when I was three years old. And uh, she had this piano teacher, a uh, piano player, Terry Eisen, who I just thought was the coolest woman. And she was her uh, pianist. And she was just phenomenal. And um, I loved watching her play. And, um, to learn how to do it. So about two or three years old, I started banging away on the piano and the rest is, uh, is my, my music journey. <laughs> and she always drinks drink, drink. Then she went dancing, oh yeah. She was dancing with that big old Actually, if anything, I think I think my parents didn't want to pressure me into going into music. Um, they certainly, uh, I think, all parents, I think, are concerned about watching their children struggle and be a struggling artist. It's always a little bit of a challenge. And, of course, you know, my parents would have loved if, uh, if I had chosen a, an easier road and had my father's a psychologist so I could have, uh, you know, gone into private practice with him and that would have been a little more stable and uh, I think a little more comforting for them um, if I had a uh, job where you could, you know, pay bills or something. Um, so, uh, but when they knew this is what I loved and uh, yeah, certainly my mother understood uh, and I loved it. My father did too, and so he supported me and um, wanted to give me as many tools as I possibly could to venture into the the big bad bad world and be a be a struggling artist. So, uh, so no, there was no pressure, but there was understanding and support. So I'm very fortunate and uh, and grateful that I had that. When I was a kid, uh, a musician, uh, first thing. I, I never wanted to be anything else. Um, you know, seeing my mother sing, seeing my, my mother perform, hearing music. I remember specifically hearing the thumping of a bass in my chest and just loving that and being the most warm, fabulous sensation. Um, we used to listen to Double Fantasy John Lennon all the time when I was a little kid. and um, It was just my favorite, favorite thing. Every time we went on a vacation, I would go into a music store and see if I could hop on a piano and bang some things out. And I always knew that's what I wanted to be. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm still at it. <laughs> Just a few years later. So, when I was... Uh, old enough to start taking piano lessons, I was probably about six years old. So I started, uh, I had my 
piano lessons with Crystal Wing, and she, you know, uh, we had our, our a dozen a day piano books and our piano, uh, you know, um, uh, lessons, and we had these uh, little um, uh, exercises, that's the word I was looking for, that I, I learned, and I learned how to read music, and you know, some classical stuff, but I always also wanted to learn pop stuff. So she taught me really how to read music and all that stuff. But I was doing a lot of improv on my own and starting to write, you know, by the time I was 10. So when I was about 14, my mother spoke to Alex Cooley Johns, who was her jazz pianist. He's a, an arranger and he's, um, he still has some of his works uh, played in the, the American Army about now uh, that he uh, arranged for in the 50s. So uh, my mother approached him and said, would you teach my 14-year-old how to do jazz theory and, and how to play you know, jazz and improv and all that stuff? And he typically worked with adults. So he was like, eh, I don't know. Uh, but he met me and he decided that I, I'd come uh, uh, a long way. And Crystal Wing was, was awesome. She understood that I needed to kind of move in a, in a more serious direction being, you know, 14 and it really wanting to do jazz. So he took me under his wing, Alex Cooley-Johns, and gave me some piano lessons while he smoked his cigar, or smoked his cigarettes, uh, now cigars, and uh, drank his Jack Daniels and told me all about Count Basie and Duke Ellington and, you know, uh, all those all those greats. And um, Gershwin, and, uh, he taught me all about theory and how to, how to play jazz. So that really... Uh, that was a big game changer for me. So I was 14 when things kind of moved to that next level. My first, actually my first gig, uh, I was 15. I'd been studying with Alex for a year and he was um, playing was it, uh, at Billy's place called Billy's. Oh my God, I can't really remember that. Okay, so it, it closed now. And uh, so he's, he told him, come, come and, you know, come and sit in with the band. Come and sit in with the band. So I uh, he said that he was going to set me up with a set. And I was 15 and uh, I played uh, Make and Whoopie. And I played, I think, Tonight from West Side Story and Sophisticated Lady, Duke Ellington. And I was awesome. It was awesome. And then... Um, uh, you know, it was just a really cool experience. I was definitely an amateur at the whole thing, but uh, I think, you know, people got a kick out of a 15-year-old trying to play those songs. And then right after that, I played at the Hojo's. <laughs> and my mom was singing uh, a gig, so I, I did that one. And then shortly after that, I was picking up the guitar, and um, my first song I learned on guitar was Bobby McGee, so I was singing a bunch of Janis Joplin. So I used to go to, uh, when I was 17, my first real bar gigs with the guitar was at uh, in Portland at the Wrong Brothers Pub, which was also a pool hall. So uh, that was that. It's like the same old song you heard when you were young On that worn out machine
great question. If I could give past Leah any advice based on my experience. Okay. Wow. I would have some advice uh, for past Leah. Um, you know, uh, it's really, really, really easy to get discouraged. Um, you know, as a musician, as an artist, and in, in, in any uh, in any medium, um, you, you try. You put things out there. Some stuff is uh, accepted, and some stuff is rejected, and you can't let it get to you. Um, this third song on the album that I just released, Fanning Composure, is called Trees Shaking Again. And um, the point of that song is um, I sort of think of the music business as a big violently shaking tree. And the older you get, the harder it shakes, and the harder it is to hold on to a limb. And I think one by one, you know, we fall off or jump off the tree and fall into a little bit more of a secure lifestyle, like some corporate job, which is fine, you know, that's much more secure. Um, because it is harder to hold on to it as you get older and you start thinking about having kids and you start thinking about, wow, well, it would be nice to have a 401k and a house. Um, so I would still tell my past Leah to still hold on and to not get so discouraged and to always try hard. Um, there's this old story about, um, it is a, there's a turkey on the ground and, um, oh wait, I can't remember how it goes. There's a uh, there's a bird in a tree. That's right. There's a bird in a tree, and it's just sitting there doing nothing. And um, uh, oh no, I can't remember how it goes. <laughs> oh shoot, I just read this fable about uh, basically the uh, the essence of this fable is that uh, in order to sit around and do nothing, you have to be sitting high up. Uh, so it's some fable about a bird sitting in a tree giving advice to a, a raccoon or a, a, a little rodent who uh, wants to sit up in the tree and uh, do nothing, but he, you know, goes on the ground and gets eaten by a fox or something. And the moral of the story is uh, you have to sort of be accomplished and do what you want to do and get to the place where you want to be before you can sort of relax and kind of kick your feet up because you know, while you're still working towards your goals, it's really not time to put your feet up yet. There's a lot of work to be done and I'm still working on it. So, short story long, that would be my advice. And man, I wish I remember that fable. But anyway, it's a good little story. When I was a kid, uh, going from my teenhood to adulthood and climbing the, the, the shaking tree, um, I definitely climbed the tree and I'm still holding on. And basically, uh, what I did, um, uh, I went to college um, and I performed uh, around campus and I joined an acapella group and really worked in my voice there. Um, and I started playing around the area and um, really started playing the guitar a lot and starting to, to write songs a lot and um, started to learn how to book some gigs. So from there I moved to Boston 
and uh, started booking myself some gigs and playing wherever I could, whether it was open mic nights or a little gig in a coffee house. Um, and it just sort of built, built, and I, I tried to build on that and build on that and started uh, playing in uh, a number of bands. Um, I, I then started playing uh, a guy, Kenny Grimsley, who knows about a gazillion songs and moved home to Portland, Maine for a little while. And, um, you know, I would play with him and he would bust out his guitar and say, hey, the song's in G, follow me. And I'd be playing the piano, but because I knew guitar by that point, uh, I could watch his fingers on the guitar and know what chords he was playing and kind of follow along. And, um, you know, I kept pushing. I moved down to the Caribbean and I uh, was playing down there and I um, went back to Boston and uh, played a number of bands there. One of, uh, one of those bands is where I met my husband. Um, you know, things changed a lot when I um, got a call that my mother was sick uh, and had cancer. So I was living in Boston at the time, so I moved home and uh, really kind of needed to take a, a break from music because, you know, family was the most important thing. So I spent time um, being with her uh, and uh, helping her while she fought cancer and unfortunately three years of fight she did pass away um, which was uh, horrible um, you know as as that would be uh, and that just sort of shifted something in me certainly musically and certainly creatively and I just started really re uh, uh, composing again and writing in a little bit of a different style and bringing the the roots of jazz back into my um, to my writing and started working with the band and it, you know at that point I think I really started being a little more serious in my focus uh, and recording and really having some better gigs and playing some better venues and getting on the radio and all that good stuff so um, I hooked up with uh, uh, Herb Clark and Matt Hansen and they decided that we should name the band Dear Claudia after my mom Claudia and so um, that was a big, big climb. That was a that was a jump to a very big limb, um, and uh, we did really well in Maine. We had a lot of radio play. We had a successful New York City tour, and uh, we had some really nice write-ups and did did well. Um, Matt decided to move to Oregon, which is which is fine. We all had to go and do things, and uh, was playing with his his uh, father for a while. It was awesome. And uh, we realized that it was time to, um, I realized anyway, it was time to really put myself out there. And L.A. was really the place to go. There was some interest in my songs for a couple of television shows, Weeds being one of them. And uh, so I took a major, major risk in climbing to this current limb that I am on by um, throwing everything into a truck and driving 3,000 miles across the country to Los Angeles. And um, here I am. I'm on this branch and uh, met uh, Mitch over here, who uh, signed on to be my manager. You're not creepy. And, <laughs> no, no, no. And um, my uh, uh, friend uh, Jill, who decided to uh, record me at Rusk Studios in Hollywood. And um, we. Uh, had this new album Feigning Composure and so here I am um, and that's really the very short short version of how I really got to this point.
um, but I'm, I'm really lucky and grateful to have Mitch and um, I'm feeling like a, I'm, I've, I've hit a, a level where I, I'm happy with and we're going to keep pushing and keep climbing. was shaking too much and there was a temptation to walk away yes um, uh, I was fortunate uh, to go to a, a good school uh, outside of Boston and um, I uh, my minor was in psychology and I was a social worker for a while worked with adults that had uh, severe and persistent mental illness um, and I was getting my master's in social work and there was discussion of uh, potentially, you know, working with my father and his private practice and being a therapist. Um, you know, the older that you get when you, after you turn 30, um, you know, I have friends who start to have kids and they start to have homes and, and a, you know, um, a, a secure life. And uh, it's, it, that's a tempting thing. That's a really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm envious of that. Um, and there were a number of, of times where I thought, geez, you know, <sighs> I could just, you know, play music on the weekends and, you know, play gigs when they come up and I can just have this on the side. And I would kind of try to convince myself that that's okay. I also thought for a minute that I was gonna go to law school, but, um, really uh, I, I would rather be a therapist um, so there were a number of times where I thought geez maybe I should just have more of a secure life and you know uh, not not you know live hand-to-mouth and live the struggling artist lifestyle anymore and so I would kind of start doing that and make some plans to to um, have a, a more secure lifestyle and be a therapist and it just didn't do it for me you know music is what I want to do music is who I am and that's always what I've wanted to do full time. And, you know, we only get one shot at living the life we want to live. So, you know, I don't want to look back and regret. I don't want to look back and say, what if? And I don't want to look back and say, man, I should have done what I love to do. So, here I'm in California, trying to do what I love to do. <laughs> but yes, there were temptations. that keep me going. Um, actually, one, the most recent reward is actually an award 
Um, and that's exciting. Uh, Mitch had submitted me to um, the, the Malibu uh, Music Awards, the Sonic Rated Song, Song Competition. And I won Best Singer-Songwriter. Um, and that's phenomenal. You know, it's a really um, pretty cool award and it's really nice to receive that kind of accolades. And, um, you know, be recognized for work that you've done. Um, you know, and then just taking it, uh, going backwards, uh, meeting Jill, who recorded the album. I was just playing a gig in, in this bar, Michael's in Burbank, and uh, she kind of came up to me and said, hey, I like what you do, I'm gonna record you. And, you know, that doesn't really happen. You don't get to just record for free at this, you know, amazing Hollywood studio. So, I mean, it made me think, huh, you know, maybe, Maybe I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing because that doesn't really ever happen. Um, you know, we have, uh, I've had, uh, you know, people who are working on shows interested in, in songs and, you know, there are little moments um, throughout my music career that have been rewarding. One of my favorite moments was I was playing a, a dive bar in Portland and um, this uh, man who, I'm pretty sure was homeless, wandered his, wandered into the bar, and um, somebody bought him a beer, and we were playing some blues to him, we were playing, I think we were playing Clapton actually, and he um, just was getting right into it and was just elated to be there, and nobody kicked him out, and you know, he wasn't disturbing anybody, he was just sitting there enjoying the music, and when we were done with the song, he came up to give me a dollar, and I immediately was like, oh, no, 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 you, you keep your dollar. And he said, no, you just entertain me, and here, you take my dollar. And um, that was probably one of the most uh, phenomenal and most loving gifts and tips I've ever had. Um, so that was one big reward. So I'll always remember that as kind of my career I would say most definitely um, I took actually uh, a music business class recently with Cindy Bollins Cindy Bollins um, is a uh, very accomplished singer-songwriter in her, her own right uh, she was actually uh, had written a couple of the songs in Greece she had this great class um, recently and what uh, she really talked about was what the internet is doing for the music business um, and uh, it's incredible what's out there. I mean, I would not be having this opportunity to speak with you had it not been for what's available on, on the web and what's, um, what we're able to do. I mean, I'm able to put, Mitch has been putting my songs out to, you know, global radio stations. So I have played, you know, in Sydney, Melbourne, Perth. Uh, uh, <laughs> in Germany, uh, I've been played a uh, number of places in, in uh, Europe, uh, Canada, and Toronto, um, all the way to the Middle East. I was played in Cairo during the the, uh, um, the uprising, which was really pretty neat. I had a song of revolution that was played there. Um, they picked that song, so that was pretty. Yeah, so that was really neat. Um, you know, it was. Uh, 
it's been a, an amazing experience to do that. So on one hand, you are able to really get yourself out there to a way larger market than we really have been able to do uh, before. You know, you're out on iTunes, you're out on CD Baby, you have Facebook, we have Twitter and MySpace and all these wonderful things. And, you know, so you go to Google My Name and all the stuff pops up and Our Stage and Airplay Direct and all of this great stuff. Uh, but a lot of people are doing it too. So the, the downside is that there's a there's a larger uh, pool of people uh, that I think a lot of people need to sift through. But you know what? That's totally worth it, and it is completely okay uh, because I've also found some pretty neat music out there that I wouldn't have found had this not been available. There's so many independent artists out there writing amazing songs, and you know that now we're able to hear Pandora and Rhapsody and all these great things. And again. It's just great to be able to, uh, you know, have been connected to you. It's really kind of a neat experience. So, yes, I would say most definitely it has helped my career. Who and what has inspired my songwriting? Um, there's a list. Um, Certainly, my mom was a big factor. Um, the first uh, music I listened to was John Lennon. Um, one of my first memories was actually when he was he was killed. John Lennon was a very very big deal in my house. Um, so yes, John Lennon uh, all over the place. Um, my first album was Sgt. Pepper, actually, and I listened to it over and over and over again. So John Lennon, and The Beatles, um, and Elton John. Uh, it was huge, 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 um, and, uh, you know, all the, the jazz greats that I got to listen to uh, certainly inspired me. Uh, I got to see Sarah Vaughn um, at the Blue Note in New York City when I was about 12 years old, and I was by far the youngest person in there. Um, and it was Sarah Vaughn, and she's amazing, and uh, that, that blew my mind, and that that inspired me then and inspires me to this day to see someone performing at that level, see anyone at that level. Um, you know, um, life experiences certainly inspire songwriting, certainly inspire creativity, certainly the loss of my mother um, was, uh, uh, you know, I started really writing a lot more coming out of the, the grief of, of that uh, experience. Um, just a number of artists. Any song that, that uh, uh, you know tickles your fancy, so to speak, or any song that moves you, and just what it, what particular kind of um, sound moves you. You know, all that is inspiring to me. Uh, and then, of course, I have to mention Alex Cooley Johns, my piano teacher, was certainly um, a big, big inspiration uh, as well, as far as my creativity and teaching me how to do improv, uh, letting yourself be, be free and be creative, but also knowing how to do that within the confines of a quote structure. So uh, both those things are
with lyrics and music, when I'm writing, I what usually happens is that I just sort of I'm I'm jamming on a riff, whether it be on piano or guitar. Uh, I'm noodling around and playing around. All of a sudden, I'll you know, kind of find myself in a little bit of a groove, and then I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I kind of play with that for a little bit, and then uh, usually if if it's a groove and I'm going to expand upon, a melody comes to my head. Um, and that starts first. And then when I really lock into that, lock onto that, and I really feel like I have a, a song uh, there, then uh, then I write the lyrics. And I usually, um, um, I usually, uh, the moment uh, that I'm writing the song is usually when I write the, the, uh, the main lyrics of the song because that's where I'm at at the moment that's the feeling that I'm having at that moment I feel like the lyrics should reflect really where I was at uh, emotionally when I wrote the uh, when I wrote the initial music so that's my typically that's what, what has happened What do you do? <laughs> I have gotten out of bed and I've plunked it out on either the guitar or the piano. I have definitely done that. I have to admit, there's some time, there is once or twice that I've been like, oh my God, I'm totally going to remember that. And I, I think it over in my head like five, six, seven times, but like, I got it, I got it, I'll remember it. And that happened once or twice that it didn't. It didn't stay in my brain, and I forgot. So I promised myself I would never, ever, ever, ever do that again. Um, so, yeah, so if that happens, I, I plunk it out on the piano, and then I, I write some sort of notation down so that I remember it. Um, but, yeah, it's really annoying when that happens. It's, you know, or when you're driving and an idea for a song comes in. It's really, really handy when an idea for a song comes at, at, in your head while you're actually at an instrument. But it doesn't always work that way. The ideas come when they come. It's surprising they proved it at all. What do they think anyway? I close my eyes and make it <laughs> I do have a copy of my CD in my car, just in case I need to give one away. Um, it's so weird to listen to yourself, though. I mean, it's like listening to yourself on, like, a voicemail. You know, when you hear yourself recorded back, it's always weird. Um, when I first got the CD, I listened to it over and over again. Well, you know, while we're actually in the um, mixing uh, uh, process, you know, you get a couple of versions before you really, you know, uh, decide on how you want something to be mixed, uh, or if there's like a, a weird anything that needs to be fixed before the final um, final edit of, of, a, of an album. Um, so I listened to it a lot over and over again and kind of be like, oh, I don't really like the way I said that word right there. Can we fix it? Or, oh, I think maybe the bass needed to kind of, you know, be fixed there or maybe the, the uh, guitar solo to come down a little bit. So after you listen to it over and over and over again to kind of find these little things and to fine tune it, by the time it's finished, you really don't want to hear it anymore. And it's always weird to hear your voice sing anyway. You're always going to 
find things about it that, that you know, you're like, oh, I wish I could sing like that. Um, so the answer is yes, I do have a copy just in case I need one, uh, but I have not been listening to it as much. Every once in a while, I'll pop in a tune, but uh, I have not been listening to it. the very first time I held my first CD in my hands, I felt awesome. <laughs> it's a really, really, um, it's a really cool experience because, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of times as a musician anyway, you don't really have a tangible product to, to give somebody, you know, uh, you know, you're playing a gig and you say, oh, you know, and people are like, what kind of songs do you write? So you're trying to explain the way you write. It's always hard to kind of come up with your own genre to kind of explain, you know, what kind of music you do. Um, so here I was for the first time. Here in my hand is a tangible product and a tangible example. And here, this is what I do. Here you can listen to this. And this is, you know, uh, this is in in uh, in the flesh what it is that I do and what I've created. It's a good feeling. It feels like you're actually accomplishing something, and that uh, you know, it's worthwhile to keep going. So it, it was a pretty cool feeling. On, on what genre would uh, best describe what I write, it is hard. Um, you know, it is hard not to tick every box because I, I, I really have incorporated a lot of different kind of genres into my music because I like a lot of stuff. Um, so, you know, we usually pick genres that sort of encompass a lot of other genres, you know, sort of like the adult contemporary overall umbrella or singer-songwriter, which is an overall umbrella. But, um, there is, you know, straight rock and roll in there, and there is jazz in there, and there's definitely a blues influence in there, and there is that sort of Americana, Southwest, you know, Southern, uh, you know, genre in there, and Southern rock, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, when you have that many influences, and now these days there are so many genres, you know, I mean, there's a lot of music stores, and what, you know, you, you used to go into a music store, there were four or five little genres to choose from and now there's just a ton you know you have trip hop and acoustic and electronica and folk and blah 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 blah, blah. so um you know um i do have a lot a lot that i've chosen uh, folk is another one so so that's what i do i try to try to pick the one with the biggest umbrella So my latest album, Feigning Composure, um, that term is actually a term that uh, my best friend Kim and I have always kind of joked about um, when you just sort of try to really <laughs> try to come across like you've got it together and you're composed and you know, you're 
going about your day and you're just inside, you're just like, wah, and everything's crazy and you're, you feel kind of nuts, but you're really trying to, you know, make pretend and, or at least appear on the outside that, you know, you've got it under control. So uh, that's the, that's the uh, meaning behind the title. Um, it's basically a compilation of songs, um, old and new, uh, mostly new, uh, uh, that um, I've been ready and, and wanting to record for a while. And again, like I was saying, uh, Jill Tengen sort of happened upon my world when I was playing a gig. And she said, um, I'd like to record you. And I said, I would like to be recorded, but um, it's going to be very expensive. And she said, no, 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 let's do this project together. She's a great friend. She said, let's do this project together. I really want to um, be involved as a producer as well and have some creative input. So a lot of what she does is uh, um, some, um, some pop. And so, you know, she doesn't really have as much of creative say. She's a lot of times fixing vocals so that the, you know, singers are singing actually in key. Um, so I pulled together a drummer, uh, Aaron Reyes, who I play in another band called Bump Town with, which is a, a fun uh, cover band that's uh, playing anything from Latin funk and 70s and 80s and, and 90s and, and to Lady Gaga. Uh, so he played on the album. He's awesome. And then Mikey Hatch, I pulled on the album, who's an amazing bass player who now is working at Cirque du Soleil in Vegas right now. Um, and I met him working. Uh, uh, it was a one-time show, a hip-hop project that I worked on that was kind of random. And uh, I pulled together three singers who I knew were friends of mine, Karen and Edie and Becky. They're all singers and all amazing Um and Karen Volpe sings on a couple of the, the songs uh, with me. She's an amazing vocalist and actress. Um, so uh, we sort of pulled everybody together, and then we found Drew Nichols, who has played with a nice tour all over the place, and he's been awesome. And my husband found him because he's an audio engineer, uh, and he mixes live bands a lot at Universal Studios. So he heard him play with another band and said, Hey, you know, would you like to play my wife's album? And there it was. So... It was uh, kind of neat how all these people came together and just played so well together. And um, we spent about seven months recording it in Hollywood and having a blast. And um, we uh, we finished it up about two months ago. And you know now we have the first limited edition available. And you know now we're we're in the mass producing uh, uh, place with it. So it's been uh, it's been good. There's two
of songs on the album, um, and it's certainly, you know, like we were talking before with the different genres uh, that I'm influenced by, there's certainly a lot of uh, genres, uh, um, you know, that are represented in the album, um, from, you know, classic rock to reggae to, um, you know, straight rock, uh, and very some singer-songwriters, some ballads. Um, I think uh, I think my favorite sounds hard because it you know depends on my mood I guess you know because I all have such different moods. Um, I think my favorite one is the tree is shaking again, which is track number three, um, and that's the one uh, about how I really feel about the music business and sort of being an, an artist and in, in music. Um, it uh, really sort of uh, describes how it how it's hard to kind of hold on and. Um, I remember the day that I, I, I sung it in the uh, studio, and I was kind of really feeling it. Um, and I really feel like that one sort of captured the emotional essence of the song that I, I had written originally. So uh, I, I, that one I'm particularly fond of. Um, that one and I'm Doing, uh, which is towards the end, uh, which is uh, kind of an, an Elton John influence of a song. Um, the, little bit of a carpenter's feel very very 70s um it's just a lot of fun to sing and i'm glad that it came up the way it did um so those i guess are my two but they're all fabulous you should get the album future um well uh i've been submitted a number of festivals uh so i'm really hoping to start playing out uh and doing the festival circuit i'm gonna be playing some gigs and promoting the album um it's uh, we're about to mass produce these babies so we're going to be looking at trying to get a distribution deal um in the meantime we're, we're looking at potential placement on tv and film um so everything's sort of uh, right there, ready to right, ready to go, and so we're working every day um, to to make it all happen and to make it all come together, and you know, just gonna keep holding on to that that uh, that limb. Um, and uh, the most recent thing that was just awesome was was the was the award, the singer songwriter award. So that I think is gonna take us in some different directions. Now that I, I have the uh, uh, best singer songwriter award under my belt, I think that should certainly help and. Uh, We'll certainly let you know when we uh, when we get placement on television, and um, hopefully we can come out to Australia and play a couple shows out there. television how does that work um you know it's a, a matter of um there are music placement people it's a lot of networking it's a lot of work 
it's a lot of um, putting your stuff out there. Um, you know, you know. I think there are a number of ways in which you get yourself placed on television and film. Um, you can also sign with a, uh, a music placement company, where you uh, might be accepted into a uh, the library uh, of a company. So you might have a uh, producer call up, you know, that particular you know music placement company and say, "Hey, I need a tune that is kind of." Kind of mellow for this particular scene, you know, with kind of a moody edge, you know, female vocalist. Do you have anything like that? And they'll search the library and they'll say, "Oh, we have this, we have that, we have that." And um, it, sometimes it works that way. Uh, another time it works that uh, you know a director happens upon your album and loves what he hears and says, "You know, wow, this would be really perfect right here." And you get a call and boom, there you are. Uh, sometimes that happens, and uh, you know, being out in, in Los Angeles is hugely hugely helpful for that because a lot of um, a lot of placement does come out of networking and, and meeting people and chatting with people and um, you know uh, a lot of networking a lot of networking so I've been doing a lot of schmoozing and putting my CDs around and um, you know getting to meet as many people as I can be and uh, we're getting closer and closer every day to getting placed on something Um, let's see. Of course, I watch The Daily Show. I would love to perform on Stephen Colbert. <laughs> that would be cool. And a little dream of mine. Um, I think it would be cool. Well, hmm. Wow, that's a really good question. Um, you know, there are so many new shows that have, that have come out uh, recently that are phenomenal. Um, the problem is, I don't get a chance to watch a whole lot of television. So, would I love my stuff to be on Mad Men, for example? Absolutely. Would I love it to be on Grey's Anatomy? Yes. Um, you know, unfortunately, what I do watch, though, is The Daily Show, and they usually have their own music. But, I'll tell you what, if any show <laughs> likes my music and they would like to use it, I would be elated, elated to uh, be placed. I think it'd also be cool if I was on a, uh, a. I'd like to be placed in an independent film. I think my, my songs are, are really well suited for, for indie films for sure. The best place to find me online, uh, you can Google me, and I will. Um, you can find a number of sites. You can go to my website, leahfinkelstein.com. That is L-E-A-H-F-I-N-K-E-L-S-T-E-I-N.com. Kind of a long name there. Um, there is ourstage.com. Uh, you can find a profile on there. Uh, iTunes, uh, certainly on iTunes. 
um, and sonicbids.com. Also, uh, you can take a look at my profile on there. Airplay Direct and Radio Submit. This podcast is a proud member of the Association of Music Podcasting at musicpodcasting.org. The Association is a member of over 50 like-minded podcasters who showcase great podsafe music each week. AMP has members from the US and Canada, through the UK, Portugal, Germany, all the way over to Nepal and Australia. As you can imagine, the music each podcaster plays is as varied as our locations. Blues, indie rock, jazz, reggae, folk, metal, we have all the genres. 
a truly eclectic mix of music to satisfy every musical ear. Each Monday, we produce Amped, a weekly digest of the best of the best tracks played by our podcasters. Every week, there's a new host, and for them, as well as you, it's a musical journey of discovery. Not only will you hear great new music, but it's a perfect way to discover great new podcasts, such as the Dark Compass podcast from the UK, which you can subscribe to all for free. So head on over to musicpodcasting.org and subscribe today.